You know, don't you love to worship? You, you know, you can't overdo in your worshiping. You know that? You know that, that sometimes you, you tell your kids, or make faces at them, tell them to be quiet or quieten down or something. In worship, it's different. They need to let it out, and we need to show them how. I've got a brother, uh, got four brothers, but <clears throat> my brother Eddie, wherever I preach when I'm around my hometown in Virginia, uh, he always comes out, and he always brings somebody with him, somebody off the street. He, he'll be leaving town, and whoever's on the street to stuck with me and Eddie, you know. And he'll say, hey, Joe's preaching tonight. And, you know, they don't know what to say. So Eddie's a great guy. They don't want to hurt his feelings. So they get in the car, and, and uh, Eddie brings him to church. He's always late. And uh, he always comes in in the middle of the first verse of the first hymn. He always comes in, and he sits toward the back on my right over here. And, and I can just see him doing this right now. He always comes in, doesn't he, Beth? He comes in, and he sits there toward the back and with his friend, and uh, in the middle of the song, and he pulls out the hymnal, you know, and, and he starts singing. And uh, Eddie's, uh, Eddie's pipes aren't the best, you know what I mean? And, and uh, when he starts singing, he, he's, he's always at least a half a note or more, uh, a little off, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, uh, so when he starts singing, by the end of that first verse, that section is off. By the end of the second verse, everybody's off. By the end of the third verse, the, the song leader said, why, why don't we do another song? Eddie, go to the restroom. You know, that uh, worship is just so important. I mentioned last night that my mother uh, was a church organist for 80 years, and uh, that, uh, that filled our house with song and worship just all the time. And so we were raised in worship, and, and the funeral home my folks had... Uh, Years ago, and my brothers have now. Um, it was the liveliest place in town. People got saved there all, all the times I mentioned last night. Uh, but uh, I don't know how many people have been saved in our chapel. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of marriages in that chapel. And it's, it's just a, it's an amazing thing to see what, what God does. And he does, a, he does so much in the midst of worship. It's just an awesome because we're... Two or three are gathered in his name. You know, when we, are, uh, when we are worshiping God, he is in the midst of the praises of his people. You know, and, and it's just an awesome thing as we gather to worship. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And, and you guys that were in the choir, wow. I believe Matt was tapping his foot a little bit. It's getting serious, you know. But, uh, and that was interesting comments about grandchildren. Thank you all for holding Beth off the pew and attacking the pulpit when he said that. My wife, uh, my wife has several thousand pictures of, of our grandchildren. And put it away, Beth. <laughs> uh, uh, but worshiping the Lord, you know, is an awesome thing. And I was talking to a friend recently. He was talking about his church in, uh, in uh, uh, Sevierville, which is near Gatlinburg. And uh, he said the church is growing and uh, it's growing in people, but attendance is going down. And I said, oh, what do you mean? It's growing in members, and, and, and yet attendance is going down? And he said, that, that's because uh, when people attend church just once or twice a month, they count themselves. They see that, that meaning that they are regular. And, and you know, they spend... Uh, 
when you were dating, you showed up at your girlfriend's house, you know, or, or your boyfriend's house, and, and, and you showed up at their house once or twice a month. Were you serious? Probably not. Goodness, Beth would have been mad that Yankee. You never would have known me, you know that? And everybody said, no, 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 no don't do that. But worship is, is so important. And, and um, I was sitting there and I was just listening and being blessed. And, and uh, you, you have to jump in even if you sing like my brother Eddie. But uh, I, I was just thinking, I, I was just thinking about uh, um, how many people need this. Just wouldn't you like, wouldn't you, you think of a few heathens you, you know or you run around with. Wouldn't you like to throw them in the middle of this? You, you know what I mean? Just say, Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray some of my best buddies right in the middle of that. Do your work. Do your work. We hired uh, the last church we served at. And, uh, well, I, I serve a little church now in retirement. But the last church uh, that we served at in Kingsport, uh, I brought a, a lady on staff that was, um, that, that was steeped in discipleship. And uh, because I believe that, that one great need in the church today is discipleship, that, that people, so many Christians today don't know who they are. Like I, I saw my Harrison Ford last night. You know, he knew who he was anyway, didn't he? So many Christians today, don't, they don't really know the, the benefits, you know, the many benefits, eternal and otherwise, that we get from following Jesus. And that's why I say we ought to be the most dynamic people on the face of the earth. And uh, we miss out on that. So today, what I want to talk about, and I've changed this message, and uh, uh, I want to talk about how to get somewhere with Jesus. You know, I want to talk about how to get somewhere with Jesus. And, and I'll, be, I'll be mentioning some verses if you want to write them down. You know, so many people today do not have fresh footprints uh, in their journey with the Lord. Our testimonies go back years and years and years, and, and uh, we can hardly remember it now. I remember uh, that I that, uh, had a meeting one time in the last church I was serving, and this guy got up, it was, it was one of these financial things, you know, and I, I, this guy gets up and he shares about all he had done, you know, and, and it went back years and years, and he's sharing about all he had done, and, and when, he was, when he was finished, and he did quite well, when he was finished, when he sat down, he sat down by an elderly lady who looked at him and smiled and said, Honey, do it again. And, and you know, we can look at the great experiences that we've had in our walk with the Lord, and perhaps he would say, Just do it again. You know, I look back at my life and see some, see some things that I was involved in, and I know that, uh, I, know that I, I probably wouldn't be here for, one, for, for the prayers of my mother. When I was 18, I, hitch, uh, I hitchhiked to Norfolk with a couple of buddies. Just got after, out of my freshman year of college and uh, hitchhiked to Europe. We, we uh, hitchhiked to Norfolk and got a job on a freighter and, and uh, spent six weeks uh, going from uh, Norfolk to, uh, to uh, Belfast, down to Dublin, up to Larne, over to Stronghouse, over to Edinburgh, down to London, down to Dover, cross over the the uh, 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 English Channel to Austin, Belgium, Holland, Germany, Austria, Italy, Switzerland, France, Luxembourg, Iceland, and landed in New York City six weeks later with 86 cents, and I spent $200. 
And that's crazy. That's crazy. And, 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 and you know, I look at that today and I say, do I risk, do I take those kind of risks for our Lord? Do I get out there where the action is? So let me just share a few things with you this morning uh, and, and talk a little bit about the, the uh, fresh footprints that we need to be putting in our walk and in our learning and, and in our growing. There, there's so many times we go to the altar and we pray about the same things. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, we pray about uh, this defeat and this defeat and this defeat and you begin to stop and, and you're thinking, you know, Lord, really, and spend some time with the Lord and, and say, Lord, help me with this. We can walk through this thing. We can walk in victory. Our witness can be, can be a rich, a rich thing. It was, uh, it was David Siemens who said, uh, the saddest thing in the church today is to see a half-filled Christian trying to overflow. And that's a wise statement, isn't it? The saddest thing in the church today is to see a half-filled Christian trying to overflow. Uh, not too many years ago, I, we had a church, Beth and I were serving a church in Radford, Virginia. And in Radford, uh, this, uh, this, this uh, professor from the uh, uh, School of Communication started coming to our church. And um, Dr. Ray Penn, uh, just a brilliant guy, and, and he would, uh, the only problem with him is when he would leave, he'd meet me at the door and critique my sermons. And my response is always, who asked you anyway? But, uh, but and, and you know, I, finally I told him, I said, listen to this accent. I said, my family doesn't even claim me. And, and you're trying to uh, uh, fool with that? And, and he got tickled. He brought me a gift. He brought me, remember this, Beth? He, he, bought, he brought me a uh, bonsai tree little bonsai tree is like a hundred years old and it's about this big. And, and I said, that's nice. Uh, I always wanted one of those. And uh, he said, the, the, the key, Joe, to keeping it alive is to keep it barely alive. He said, keep the trees and the roots trimmed down and you'll have a problem at all. And within a few months, that thing was no longer a bonsai tree. It was a bonsai twig. And uh, Beth said, when are you going to get rid of that thing? I said, when he shuts up. You know, when he shuts up, I'm going to get rid of it. Listen to this scripture out of Philippians chapter 3. No, dear brothers and sisters, I am still not all I should be, Paul writes, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. What is that? Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain toward the, uh, to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us up to heaven. I hope all of you who are mature, mature Christians will agree on these, uh, on these things. You know, how do you get from where you are to where you need to be? And, and I've got three simple things, just three simple things to share with you. Uh, this morning. One is to make up your mind. You've got to have a passion for this. You know, I saw an old cowboy one time out, it, uh, he was out in Oklahoma somewhere, and uh, where I was traveling with my family. And he was talking about sometimes these, these big uh, uh, steers or whatever they, he referred to them, he said they'd get loose on the range. 
and, and maybe it was in Texas where we were talking about this, but he said they get loose on the range, and, and uh, uh, I said, how do you bring them back? You just stick them on a truck? How do you bring them back? He said, we go out and we find them, and, and we'll take a burrow, is what he called it, a, a shaggy little pony. And he said, just a tiny thing. And he said, we tie that as close as we can to, to the neck of that steer. And, and it's, you know, start swinging it around and beating it through on the, on the, on the tree and uh, are, are dragging it through the bushes. And, and, uh, and about a week later, they'll come walking, walking home. And I said, what happens? He said, the thing about that little burrow, that burrow is focused. It's on its way home. It wants to go home. That three-year-old is going nuts. It doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't know where it's going. And so every opportunity that burrow would drag, would drag that thing a little closer and after a while, they bring it home. And we need to be like that. We need to make up our mind. We need to know where we are going. The scripture says, in Joshua, and this is a quote from uh, Caleb. You remember Caleb at 85, when it was time to move, move over into the promised land, you remember this? When it was time to move over into the promised land and, and divide the, 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 the land among the tribes, Caleb knew what he wanted because he and Joshua had been the spies. You remember among the 12 spies and they were the survivors. And he had seen, when he had gone over there to spy out the land, he had seen a mountain. I think it was called Smoky, maybe not. Uh, the mountains, he had seen the mountains, and he said, Lord, I want my mountain. And he told Joshua, he said, I want my mountain. I want my mountain. And um, welcome. He said, I want my mountain. And, and you say, well, how could he ask for a mountain? Because he had been obedient with God. He had been obedient when they were fighting the, uh, the giants. He had been obedient when God was calling him forth. He had been obedient, and he called forth, and he said, Lord, I want that mountain. And, and you think, what would an old 85-year-old do with a mountain? Well, God has a mountain for us. And, and in Joshua 14, he says, Caleb says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He knew, he knew, he had, he had paid the price. Emerson said this, great writer of yesteryear. He said, middle age, middle age takes the lumber with which youth would erect a tower to the moon and fashions a chicken coop in the backyard. Why is that? Because they lose their vision. They lose their passion. They lose their drive. Uh, Solomon said, for though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Whatever your situation, rise again. Rise again. I, I remember one time Hannah and I, our daughter Hannah and I, were, we were driving home. Beth was somewhere up here and we were driving home uh, to, um, to Tennessee. Uh, after Syker, and we're going down the highway, and, and it's around Lexington. We got behind this car, and uh, there were bumper stickers all over the back of this car. And one of them said, one of them said, uh, uh, goddess. And the other one said, exotic princess. And I thought, wow. 
I said, Hannah, look at the back of that car. Goddess, exotic princess. And uh, I said, we got to see this lady, don't you think? She said, get around it, Dad. So we're on the four lane, so I pulled up beside this woman, and she had this beautiful blonde hair, and I pulled up beside, and just as I pulled up beside, she turned to her left. Scared the liver out of me, it really did. I thought, I thought to myself, either she hasn't looked in the mirror lately, or she's driving a stolen car, you know. But uh, that's the way she saw herself. And, and we look at ourselves and we say, how do we see ourselves? What do we see when we, when we look in the mirror? Um, Vince Lombardi said, Vince Lombardi said, that great, great philosopher of the Green Bay Packers of yesteryear, he said every ball game, Every ball game is decided by eight, eight or ten decisions that are made during the game. When you look at your own life, you look at your own life, and you think back over your life, you can see eight, five, five eight, or ten decisions that you made that have put you where you are today. Is that right? You think about that later. You think about that later. He was so, he was so right in that. Um, we need to think about those decisions in the future and begin to make some decisions that, to follow Jesus and, and to get involved in, in Bible studies, to get involved in opportunities to where you can grow and become all that God has created you to be. You know, the, the mustard seed, the mustard seed, and, and you know how Jesus said you got faith of a Green of mustard seed and you move a mountain. And you think, well, he hasn't seen some of the mountains I've hiked, you know. He hasn't seen some of the places I've been. Yes, he has. We say, well, how, how can that, that tiny bit of faith move a mountain? You say, I, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me ask you an easier question. Do you think something's the same size can take a, a bodybuilder, a weightlifter to his knees? You ever heard of a kidney stone? You say, well, that's a figment of, do you, do you say that's a figment of my imagination? No, no. But as real as that is, that faith, that small faith can move that mountain that's keeping you from becoming all that God has, has called you to be. In 2004, I think four or five, Alcoa, where we used to live in Tennessee, I was playing for the state championship football. They, they do that a lot. They've won, I think, 11 in, since 2000. And uh, just, they live for football, but um, great, great, great coaching. But, but anyway, they were playing a place called Huntington, and uh, they quickly were winning the game 20 to 6. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, well, this is easy. 20 to 6, nothing to that. And in no time at all, they outscored Alcoa 35 to 6. So the score became 41 in favor of Huntington, 41 to 26. You see that? The coach called a timeout, and he called the players in. He called the players in, and when they came in, he said this to them. This is all I said. Quit playing scared. Quit playing scared. He said, now go out and play the game. 
They went out and scored the next 26 points and won that game 52 to 41. But he said, quit playing scared. And I want to say that to you. Uh, quit playing scared. Quit playing scared. Make up your mind. Secondly, get your faith in gear. And we, and we talked about that uh, with this mustard seed thing. But faith is the currency of heaven. It's one that opens the markets uh, of eternity. That, that, that with faith, walking faith in Jesus, what, what it can do is incredible. You know, there's two occasions in the Bible that amaze Jesus. Now think about this. Two things amaze Jesus. In Hebrews 11 and 6, where it says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Okay? That is the background, I, I would have to say, although written later, that is the background that we further. Two things that amaze Jesus. Number one, this is Matthew 8, you know this. When Jesus heard people questioning now, this is, this is, when, this is when the Roman soldier came to Jesus and, and he said, Jesus, my servant, my servant's sick. Come and heal my servant. And Jesus said, well, I'll come. And then he said, no, 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 don't do that. He said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. And the man said this, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all the land of Israel. I haven't seen faith like this. And then the second place is in his hometown. This is in Mark 6. In his hometown, um, he was amazed at the lack of faith that people had in his hometown. And uh, um, the problems that we deal with in the realm of faith that, that, that I, I put down here, one is, is a lack of usage. We have what I would call unapplied truth. That a lot of us, we get into the word, you know, we, we get into our scripture and we, we can quote it and, and we think about it, but we don't speak it forth and we don't live it, live it out. It, it's, it's, not, it's unused. It's unapplied, unapplied truth. And, and uh, um, it's like a broken arm that's put in a cast and is not used for a little while. When that cast is taken off, it's weak. That arm is weak, right? Isn't that right? And the same thing with our faith. Secondly, is a limiting spirit that, that uh, we run God's promises through our logic and through our reasoning. Instead of standing on the scripture and saying, Lord, I don't understand all this stuff, but I'm standing on your word. I'm standing on your word. And, and right along with that is our pride, our pride. Uh, years ago, uh, Beth and I served in a little village in uh, Virginia called Dryden. And... Uh, it, it certainly wasn't dry, but uh, it's Dryden. And, and we started a prayer meeting. We started a little prayer meeting. And, and uh, one night we, we were at a house. We had 73 people there, I'll never forget it. We're crammed in this house, and uh, 73 of us, and people were everywhere. This house was a nice house, had a balcony uh, in, in this house, and that was a master bedroom, that area was. And they were up there, they were all over the living room, they were set, there were people everywhere, 73, I remember that number. And um, 
the different in that, what was different in that meeting is that it was wall-to-wall people, and where I was standing, I couldn't move. Now, there were two ladies, two ladies that were there that night had never been to a prayer meeting at our house, probably anywhere, and they were from Detroit. And one of them's mother lived in our village, and she was a Baptist lady and started coming to our church and, and uh, um, saw the light. No, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. No, no. Um, but she, this, this lady started coming to our church, and God turned her life upside down. And she became just uh, uh, inflammable material. That woman was awesome, her witness. And so her daughter lived in Detroit, and she owned a real exquisite uh, 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 ladies' uh, clothing place there. And she and a friend came down to see her mother. And so they came to the house because they told us, they told us, they said, we're going to have to kind of uh, help people up, up this mountain. The house was in the mountain, and there was no, no parking much up there. So we, had to, we just had to keep making trips up there. And, 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 find, and those ladies were at the house, and everybody that came into our house, they, they'd, they'd, they'd grab us and hug us and say, praise the Lord, Joe, or praise the Lord, Beth. You remember this? And, and, and so those ladies were watching, and I saw them. They just went, just kind of put their head back and, and I thought, oh, brother. And, and anyway, we got up on the mountain and so we had a great time of fellowship and, and had a time of teaching. And those two ladies were sitting on the couch right across from me. I couldn't get to them, but they were right there. And, and, they, and one was sitting by her mother and the other lady was on her other side. And so I was getting ready to, to kind of close this thing out. I was getting ready to, to close it out. And my brother, Eddie, the great singer, was sitting over on the fireplace, this huge fireplace. And there was a guy there with him. And Donnie was his name. And, and, he, and he, stuttered, he stuttered a little bit. And uh, Eddie said, Joe, wait a minute. And I said, what, what's up? He said, Donnie wants to get saved. And I said, uh, well... Okay, you want to get saved, Don? And he said, yes, yes, yes. I said, well, okay, let's, let's pray for Donnie. I can't get over to him. So I said, you, you around him, just kind of put your hands on him. And uh, I said, uh, and so my brother was there, and he kind of, and some others put their hands on Donnie, and I led him in the sinner's prayer. I was getting ready to lead him in the sinner's prayer. And before I could get that thing started, the lady who was the friend of the, the older lady's daughter said, wait a minute. And I said, well, what, what's up? She said, uh, I want what he wants. And the other lady said, me too. So that night, three people met Jesus. They met Jesus. And, and uh, you know, that, 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 that's an awesome thing. Pride has to go to the side. I had a friend tell me that you never understand the Bible until you do it. It said you never really understand what it means until you walk it out, and that's so true. You with me? Let's move on, just a couple other things here. Uh, another thing, a third thing, is you need to break up your will. You've got to break up your will. You, you know, a heart attack, a heart attacks are a leading cause of death in, in America, and, and a lot of it will, will come through the hardening of the arteries. And that comes from years of hard work. Years of Big Macs with bacon, 
years of number, uh, of number three, eight count at, at Chick-fil-A, you know, that it takes years of the best fries in the world at McDonald's. It takes years of hard work. Amen? Yeah, yeah. But the hardening of the arteries, it, 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 it brings blockage and it, and it causes some major problems. Hebrews 3.13 says, you must warn each other every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Hardened against God. It's hard to stake your claim on the, God's, on, on the promises of God with hard hearts. The scripture says in Psalm 95, the Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at, at Messiah in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tried my patience. They, they courted my wrath, uh, though they had seen many miracles. For 40 years I was angry with them, and I said, these are people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. In other words, their hearts will harden. And a lot of that sometimes, it seems, a lot of it's caused by self-righteousness. And hard hearts uh, are not a good way to, uh, to see the hand of God move. Jesus said he looked around angrily. This is, this is Mark 3. And, and he saw a man there with a, with a crippled hand and, and he turned around and people were not believing and they were making fun of him. And it says, because Jesus was deeply disturbed by their hard hearts, he says to the man with a withered hand, he says, stretch out your hand. And the man reached out his hand and it became, it became normal again. And then, and then a fourth thing, a final thing, is you need to take up your cross. You know, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 24, right at the end of that, uh, of that, of that book, 2 Samuel, um, David, God's upset with David because there's an enemy, a formidable army coming against him. And he, he sends people out and says, we've got to count the number of people coming against us to make sure we can win this battle. And that upset God. He said, we don't worry about numbers. That's the Methodist of the 21st century. We don't worry about numbers. And uh, he said, I'm in charge here. And, and, and David realized his mistake. And David, uh, David was, was told by God, he said, go to Arona, the Jebusite's house, and build an altar on his threshing floor. So he goes to Arona's house, and Arona was so excited to have the king there he said, I will give you my threshing floor. I'll build the altar for you. And David said this, great statement. He said, I'll not make an offering to God that doesn't cost me something. So we say, what is our sacrifice? What, what does our commitment to God, what does it cost? One day in seven, one dollar in ten, what does it really cost? How much do we have involved in this thing? You know, what is that? What is that? Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? I, I recall reading some time back about a conversation between Steve Jobs, Stephen Jobs uh, of Apple and uh, John Scully, who at that time, this was in the 90s, early 90s, he was with uh, uh, PepsiCo. 
and they were discussing because Stephen Jobs was trying to woo him away from Pepsi, PepsiCo or Pepsi, uh, trying to, to uh, woo him away from that company and become the CEO of Apple. And uh, they kind of went back and forth and finally they're sitting in a restaurant and, see, and, and John Scully looked across the table at Stephen Jobs and said, I, I don't want to lead Apple. He said, I don't know anything about computers. He said, I've been in food services all these, all these years. I don't know a thing about I don't know a thing about computers. And Stephen Jobs, it is said, rose up from the table and leaned over the table and looked at him and said, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugared water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? Do you want an opportunity to sell sugared water? Or do you want an opportunity to change the world? C.T. Studd, the great, uh, great minister, really, of yesteryear and had been a, a star cricket player or something in England, he made this comment. He said, some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. He said, I want to, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In other words, I want to be in the midst of the challenge. I want to pay the price to make the difference. How much is it costing you to follow Jesus? Robert Louis Stevenson said this when he was just a kid, and he recorded this in his diary uh, several years later so he wouldn't forget it. But when he was a child, uh, he was looking out the window one night, and there was a lamplighter walking down the street, and this is years ago when, when they had to go from lamp to lamp or uh, what we call these light poles today, but, and they'd have to light each, each pole, you know, they'd light the wick or whatever, and, and he'd go down and he was watching the lamplighter in the dark of night, and his nurse, the story is told, his nurse came to the door and said, Robert, said, Robert, what, uh, what are you doing? And he said this, I thought this is so cool. He said, I'm watching a man make holes in the darkness. And that's what God has called us to do, I think, is to make holes in the darkness. Have you ever had your breath taken away? If you wanna know, if you wanna find out how it feels to, to have your breath actually taken away, talk to Beth. She can tell you. I remember when I was playing ball, when I was playing ball at seminary, playing flag football, and I was playing offensive end. And I had this guy watching me, a tiny guy, and I, I just kind of nodded to the quarterback and gave him a head like that, and he saw this little guy watching me. And he knew that I could outrun that guy and he could throw me an easy pass. The only problem and what he didn't know is how sharp that guy's elbows were. And when I ran around him, he hit me with, that, with that, the, the end of his elbow, and I mean everything in me was sucked out. And I, I knew I was dying right there, and this little guy just kind of standing, you okay, you okay? And I embarrassed to no end. But to have our breath knocked out of us, listen, that's the way it ought to be in our walk with Jesus. That kind of passion, that kind of excitement, that kind of love, that kind of desire to serve him. Maxie Denham, and I close with this. He said, 
Now listen to this, Maxie Dunham. He said, who we think Jesus is and for what purpose he came determines our understanding of salvation and discipleship. Do you hear that? Who we think Jesus is, is he our Lord? Is he really our Lord? Who we think Jesus is and for what purpose he came determines our understanding of salvation and discipleship. What we believe Jesus can do for persons and for society gives shape to a congregation's life. What do you or what does your church believe about Jesus? Think about that. Isn't that an awesome statement? I wish I'd said that. Goodness. Think about what do you think about Jesus? Is he truly the Lord of your life? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that uh, as we gather before you now that you are always willing to receive us. Now, we don't know anybody in the world like you, Father, that you're always willing to receive us. You're always willing to listen to us. You're always willing to just, just kind of take us in and hug us and receive us. Father, I, I, I pray right now, when we look at our lives, that we'll be honest and say, what do I think about Jesus? What is his place in my life? What am I missing out because I'm holding back? What is my altar? What is my commitment to him, uh, to Jesus? What is that, what is that costing me? Father, I pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see ourselves as you see us, because we know when we get your perspective, we get your wisdom. Speak to our hearts, Father, in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing, and I know it's in the morning, but if you want to come and pray, we'll certainly pray with you. But you just think about what we've talked about. Think about your place with the Master. Let's sing Spirit of the Living God. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, break me, mold me, use me, use me, Spirit of the he leads me I will follow where he leads me I will follow where he leads me I will follow where he leads me I will follow I'll go with him with him all the way break me break me break me 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the blessing of being a camp psyker, for the opportunity that our ancestors have opened the door for us because they were concerned about this generation passing it on. They were concerned about the fact that they wanted us to know, to know you in the deepest way. They wanted us to tell our children and, and our grandchildren. They wanted us to keep this thing Father, this thing of walking with you, learning all we can about you. And it seems like every door we open, there's that much more, more than we ever imagined. Lord, we're learning more about you and we're learning more about ourselves in the, in the meantime. As we depart now, we depart to serve in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.